0: Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Chronicles. You know, I remember many years ago, you know, looking at the Bible and, and coming across passages in Genesis and certainly in Chronicles and other areas of the Scripture where there's a list of names and long genealogies, and, and I found myself getting kind of impatient with it and especially trying to pronounce the names um, But I'm hoping to show you tonight and over the next couple of weeks as we're going through these first nine chapters, which really is a genealogy beginning with Adam going all the way down through David. And the chronicler, and I mean Ezra, we believe, is the one who compiled, compiled all of these records and they did that, he did that, because remember the children of Israel, the Jews were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So somewhere at the end of that Babylonian captivity, or perhaps when they came back into the land, remember um, that Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild. And Artaxerxes, Longimanus, they, they uh, allowed the Jews to, to leave uh, Babylon, and to go back and rebuild their temple, their gates, and their city again. And being back in the land, certainly after everything had been devastated, there was a need to reestablish things, and to, certainly there was a great zeal and a great fervor to you know uh, begin rebuilding the temple, and, and they certainly did that. It wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's temple. But in the process of doing all of that they wanted to make sure that their their identity was intact and by and and the chronicler in in the first and second chronicles the the whole idea behind these genealogies is not just to bore you with a bunch of names in fact there's a there's a very there's a purpose about it and even when you get to like genesis chapter you know 10 you know where it lists the table of nations and, and the, the, you know, the genealogies from Noah and Shem and Ham and, and going through that whole thing, there's a reason that God has those things there. And the history is very correct. It's very precise. But there's a purpose behind it, and, it, and it's to show, remember, the book, the Bible, is a book of redemption. And so these names are in here for a reason. And it's to narrow down, from beginning from Adam, all this mass of humanity, which the Bible does show a lot of different things, where the different people groups after the flood, where they went to, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and how they kind of spread around. And, and everything that we see now is a result of that. Everything. And as the Bible continues, it, it, it kind of doesn't spend a lot of time about you know, it doesn't spend a lot of time on Ham or Japheth, but it gets right to Shem. Why Shem? It's because the Messiah would come through the line of Shem. Specifically, Abraham would come through Shem. And then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob. And then he has, he has his 12 sons or the 12 tribes. And one is specific, Judah. And going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where... The seed of the woman is mentioned, and isn't that a crazy thing, a phrase, seed of the woman? It's the egg of a woman. There's no seed in a woman, right? But even in Genesis 3.15, there's a hint. There's a hint that there's something really unique and special going on here, and it actually is a prophecy of Christ, the seed, singular, the seed of the woman. There is no seed of the woman. So this is an veiled attempt, and really not so veiled. Speaking of the virgin birth, because there has to be a seed from somewhere, where did the seed come from? Well, it's, it didn't say the seed of Joseph. It didn't say the seed of something else, of another man. No, it said the seed of the woman, because there was no man involved in the virgin birth other than God himself. And it was all about Christ, from the seed of the woman, and then going forward in time to Genesis 49. As Jacob was on his deathbed, and as he begins to bless his sons, he, he, he gets Judah aside, and he tells him that the scepter, meaning the right to rule, the lawgiver, would be through Judah. The Messiah would come through Judah. And then, fast forward several hundred years from that, and then you get into Isaiah, and Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 11 that this rod, this, that, that, that come this stem out of, out of Jesse, this rod, This branch would come out of Jesse. Speaking again of Christ. And then Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Again, speaking of Jesus and Satan all along. And I'm hoping to look at this as we go. Satan all along is paying attention because a judgment was given to him in the beginning, if you remember. After Adam and Eve had sinned, And God had approached Adam and Eve and finally he approaches the serpent and he says, The seed, the woman, will crush your head. You shall bruise his heel, but he shall crush your head. And right then, Satan knew that there was something about this. And he's no fool. The devil is a very intelligent being. I'm not going to give him any more credit than he is due by any means because God is obviously more intelligent. He's the one who created Lucifer to begin with. But he's a very intelligent being. And when he heard the seed of the woman, he knew something was up. And let me suggest to you that as we look through this genealogy, even though it does winnow down from Adam and all this, the, the mass of humanity in the beginning, it narrows it down very quickly, very quickly through, you know, through Noah, and then through Shem, and then through Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 sons, and then Judah, and finally David. And then we'll be speaking of David for several chapters, and chapter 10 onward for several chapters, and then Solomon for several chapters, his son, speaking of him. And Satan knew, and he, I believe, was trying to pollute that line. And as we look through this genealogy tonight, I hope it's exciting to you to know that it's not just a bunch of names, but as we cherry-pick a couple of characters out out of these genealogies, you're going to see something really fascinating. You're going to see that God didn't create a bunch of perfect people. And that through the mess of humanity... And, and And the mess of all all the mistakes that have been made, the lord God, God the Father, would bring his son through a line that was not perfect at all, and yet if I were God, I would maybe want to i'd be tempted to make a master race a perfect people that i would bring my son through and then when he finally does come onto the scene i would have a big fanfare and a big party and everybody would know it and everybody would bow down to him at his birth but there were only a handful of kings from the east that came and bowed down before jesus but is anyone here perfect tonight <laughs> none of us are perfect There's only one who's perfect, and yet God chose to bring his son through a crooked, crooked gene pool, (laughs) a humanity that had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm really interested by that, because it's so opposite of what the world would do. The world would have the big fanfare, all the show, all the pomp and circumstance, but God says, you know what, I'm going to identify with the lowliest of the world. And that's why he only, he first showed himself to some shepherds out in the field. Shepherds who nobody cared about. He revealed himself to them, not to the kings, and the, not to Herod. And, and you know, you think about that, and he did that because anybody then could relate to Christ. Everybody would be smitten by his lowliest state. And everyone would learn to love him, hopefully. There'd be not a person in the world that couldn't relate to Christ if if their hearts were right. So we're going to look at this as the chronicler begins to winnow down all of the mass of humanity into a single thing. And he does it pretty quickly. And I think you'll see it. And he even spends a little bit of time on others like Ishmael and Esau. But he quickly gets to Israel, the man who was governed by God, and then through Israel, his 12 sons, and then to Judah, and then we're stuck on Judah until the rest of the book, except for some uh, passages concerning the Levites. Because remember, the Levites and the tribe of Judah and Levite, they're, they're intertwined, aren't they? Because the, Jerusalem is in Judah, and at the center of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount where the temple is. And that is where the priests would minister. So it's very, uh, no mistake that as we get through Chronicles, we're going to see mention of the responsibilities that the Levites had in the house of God. their responsibilities, their roles. Because theirs and Judah, the kings of Judah, began to intermix together, and they were like together. And so let's read, just by way of, uh, of that, just the first uh, 28 verses, and then we're going to get right into the rest of chapter 1 and, and Lord willing, chapter 2 as well. Uh, I'm not going to go through and spend a lot of time on each name, and uh, bear with me with the name pronunciations, but we're going to stop at a few of these names because they are significant. But notice it says in verse 1, Adam... Seth and Enosh and Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared and Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So obviously giving us the, the, the line from Adam And then the sons of Japheth, and and notice he starts with Japheth, and then he starts with Ham in verse 8, and then he goes on with Shem, he saves the best to last. He saves Shem because Shem is going to be the place where he takes off again, because that's really what it's all about. Let's just get, let's talk about Ham and let's talk about Japheth, but what I really want to get to is Shem, and then he takes Shem and he go and he, he winnows it down a little further and quicker. So back in verse 5, the sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Diphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan were Elish, Tarshisha, Kittim, and Rodanim. The sons of Ham, notice, were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba and Havilah, Sabta, Reamah, and Sabtika. And the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dadan. So these are peoples and places on the map that you can look up in any dictionary or any uh, Bible atlas. You can see where these people lived. A lot of the times their lands were named after them. Sheb and Dadan being in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula that we know today, for instance. And then Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. And we looked at him uh, two Thursdays ago. And then Mizraim begot Ludim and Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, and Casluhim. From, from whom came the Philistines, the Kaphtorim. And the Philistines, just so you know, just a quick review, they came from the island of Crete. And so they were, they were a seafaring people and they, they left Crete and they went south and they went right into Egypt and the Egyptians pushed them out of their coasts. And so what did they, the, the Philistines, what did they do? They just hugged the coastline of the Mediterranean and parked right in where you and I would know as Israel today. And they were there for several hundred years before the children of Israel even came into the land. And God would use them to drive them out because of their idolatry. There are hundreds of years of idolatry, and along with six or seven other nations that God had pronounced judgment upon. So it says, And then Canaan, uh, verse 13, begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Ar- Arvadite, the Samarite, the the Zemerite, excuse me, and the Hamathite, and then the sons of Shem, where ultimately we wanted to get to. <laughs> the sons of Shem were Elam and Asher and Arphaxad, Lud and Aram, Uz, Hul, Jether, and Meshach. Arphaxad begot Shelah, and Shelah begot Eber. And to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for his name, for in his days the earth was divided. We believe this was around uh, Genesis chapter eleven when the um, Tower of Babel occurred and the Lord confused the languages, that was when the world was divided. So right around the time of Peleg, that happened. And his brother's name was Joktan, and Joktan begat Almadad and Shelef, Hazar uh, Jerah, Hedoram, Uzel, Dikla, Ebel, Abimiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And then Shem, Arphaxad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Serug, Nahor, Nahor, Terah, and Abram. Ah, there it is. There's, there's the one of promise from Shem. And, we, and the chronicler wanted to ultimately get to Abraham quickly. Who is Abraham? The sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. And now notice in verse 29 as we go on here, it says, now these are their genealogies. The firstborn of Ishmael was Nebajoth, and then Kedar, and Ab, uh, Ad, uh, Adbiel, and Mibsem, Mishma, Duma, Mesa, Hadad, Tema, Jeter, Nafish, and Kadima. These were the sons of Ishmael. Now I want to take a moment here and let's look at This Ishmael, because we're going to find that everything that we're seeing in the world today, the Palestinian or the so-called Palestinian conflict and the Arabs and the, the Jews and the conflict between them, do you understand it goes back to Ishmael? It goes back to the line of Ishmael, it goes back to the line of Esau, and there's been a lot of mixing of peoples in that time, but it really comes down from those two because they were a mixed race. And they were, they were all Sh- Sh- Semitic, or they all came from the line of Shem. We call it Semitic because it come, they came from Shem. Does that make sense? So many Arabs over in Islamic countries, they came from the line of Shem. But, on, but they were also mixed in with other, uh, other peoples from Ham, from like Egypt and things of that nature, and so they're a mixed race of people. But they all have a hatred against the Jews, and it all goes back to Ishmael and the the struggle between Isaac and Ishmael and through Jacob and Esau, all of those things. And and the promise, the God's covenant always went through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to Jacob, to his sons, and to Judah, That's the line, and yet there were other people involved, weren't they? And I hope you'll see tonight that God didn't just pick and had favoritism about one person and then totally destroyed the rest of them. No, if if your understanding of God is like that, it's a wrong idea because God loves people. Yes, God did choose Abraham, and he gave specific promises to Abraham, and he reiterated those promises to his son Isaac, and he reiterated those promises to Jacob. And he gave great and precious promises to David and to Solomon. He did. He chose them. Was it because they were better than everybody else? I don't think so. God could have chosen anybody, but he had to choose somebody. If he was going to choose a line for his son to to come through, he could have chosen anybody, I suppose, because the line of Judah is no... A trophy either as far as genealogy is concerned. We'll see that tonight. But he could have chose anybody. But he chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Look with me at Genesis 15. Open your Bibles. Look at Genesis 15 because we're going to see this covenant that God had made with Abraham. And the reason why this is significant as we look at the life of Ishmael briefly is because God made a promise to Isaac, but not to Ishmael. And you're going to see the foundation of the hatred and the enmity that they had with one another. And we'll also see the promise of what God was going to do. And this indeed causes friction, because in today's, even in today's world, if somebody is chosen over somebody else, people get upset. Why did he get chosen? I'm better looking than he is. I've got better grades than he is. I'm more accomplished and more gifted and talented than that other person. Why did they get chosen, Lord? (laughs) And the Lord has a right to say, I chose him because of the purpose that I have in my heart that you know nothing about. But I love you, and if you do well, you will do well. But if you resist me, you're going to be in trouble. But notice in Genesis 15, verse 1. God's covenant with Abraham. And this is important. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. (laughs) It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now this is going to be a challenge to Abram, and it's certainly going to be a challenge to Sarah, because Abram is an old man, and Sarah is old too. She's way past her childbearing years. And God is saying, Your heir is going to come through your loins, Abraham. (laughs) You're kidding. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So that's one promise that God gave to him, a covenant Your seed, your your descendants are going to be as numerable as the stars in the sky. And notice, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed by faith simply what God had told him. Isn't that what faith is all about? God says something, I believe it, that settles it. And that is as simple as it gets, folks. And then he said to him, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. So not only is God promising him many descendants, but also the land in which he is walking currently at that time. And then uh, down in verse 18 of that same chapter, it says, On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. I'll give you the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So God was going to give him all of this land, promised him a great number of descendants. So Genesis 15 was not only a, it was a promise of a son and of a large family, as well a promise that they would inherit the land of Canaan. But it was a promise of a son. And it seemed impossible, didn't it? And you see, God made no distinction other than that Abraham's son or heir would come from his own body. But it was implied by God that the son would come to be born through the union of Abraham and Sarai because Abram was married to Sarah at that moment. So when God gave him the promise at that moment, he and Sarah were already wed. Do you follow me? Otherwise, God would have said to him, "By the way, I'm going to accomplish this not through Sarah because she's old. I'm going to accomplish it through Hagar." God never said that because they were already married. It was already implied in what God was saying. I am going to use you and Sarah to bring forth the one. And this covenant was also about the inheritance of the land in Canaan, as we saw in verses uh, in Genesis chapter fifteen, eighteen through twenty-one. So when we get to Genesis chapter 16, because Abram and Sarah were advanced in years and because Sarah was barren past her childbearing years, Sarah told Abraham to go into her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, to have a child through her. So they're like, well, we're too old. We can't do this, but there's one way we can get it done. I've got a great idea, honey. Abram, go into my younger handmaid, Hagar. And you notice, you didn't see Abraham going, oh, honey, I could never do that. We're married. God put us two together. Let no man put us under. But do you see that? No. Hey, honey, going to my, okay. <laughs> so he goes in, the work of the flesh. There was no faith involved here, and it was Sarah's idea. Sorry, ladies. But then Abram didn't kick at it at all. They're both at fault for this. But when God spoke these words, or excuse me, the the, the union of Abraham and Sarah, or Hagar, excuse me, the union between Abram and Hagar was not born out of faith, but rather the flesh, out of unbelief. It was not sanctioned by God. So when God spoke these words to Abraham in chapter 15 that we've already looked at, he was not thinking of this child being born to anyone except through Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. And then in Genesis 17 and 18, God promised to Abraham separately and Sarah that she would give birth to a son, Isaac. And then finally in chapter 21, it records that she did. She brought a son forth. And then beginning in Genesis chapter 21, verse eight through 21, Hagar and Ishmael, because the contention had gotten so bad between Hagar and Ishmael with Sarah and uh, Isaac because remember Isaac was just a little guy and Ishmael was already a teenager probably 13 years of age so he's much older by at least 13 years and now they, they understand that there's a promise that God had given God gave a promise through Abraham and it would go through Isaac. Sorry, Ishmael, it's not going to go through you. And the contention got so bad between these two factions of people, between Hagar and Ishmael and and Sarah and Abraham and Isaac, that finally Sarah says, Abraham, you gotta kick this woman out. And it grieved Abraham, and he wasn't he didn't want to do it. And God spoke to him and says, What your wife said is good. Listen to her. Remember that, guys. (laughs) Because sometimes we got such a a knucklehead, a hard head, and your wife is trying to speak wisdom to you, maybe even giving you the very thing that's on God's heart, and don't be so proud that you can't receive from your wife. Because sometimes the Lord speaks right through my wife when when I'm a knucklehead, when I'm not listening. We have to remember that. We're not the king of the jungle. Yes, we're the head of the home, but the head of the home can be wrong. And oftentimes, the head of the home is wrong. Can you receive instruction? Can you receive correction? Not in a, you know, I mean, none of our wives, you know, pin us up against the wall and tell us that we're no good scoundrels. No, they usually are, you know, honey, have you ever thought about this? Shut up, woman! (laughs) I mean, would anybody treat their wife like that? Anyway? So he listens and he thrusts Hagar and Ishmael out. And even though Ishmael was not of the chosen line, God was going to make him a great nation and from him would come 12 princes. And I really like this. You know why? Because when I think about how fair God is, he's not always fair, but he's just. But I even love how God did this because He was going to bless Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had a great and awesome plan that we are part of and looking forward to yet. And he could have just said to Ishmael, you know, you guys, just go out in the desert and die. Just, you know, all you do is complain. But you see, God loved them. He took care of Hagar and Ishmael. He loves people. Don't ever forget that. You know, there's no room for bigotry in this world, although it's very common. Racism and bigotry. God wasn't a bigot. He just chose a line to come through. But notice what it, in Genesis 17, beginning in verse 20. So during that time that God told Abraham about Sarah bearing him a son, God also said this. And as for Ishmael, notice he doesn't leave Ishmael out of the picture. He doesn't just throw him away like trash. He says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have, I have notice the past tense, I have blessed him. You know, only God can say that in the past tense. I have blessed him. Wait a minute, you haven't done anything yet. No, I've already blessed him. It's just going to take time for it to meet out, to be seen, to be visualized. But I have blessed him, and I will make him. Notice the confidence of God. And I will make him a fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes. God already saw the end from the beginning. Yes, so he was going to bless Ishmael. He didn't didn't not care for him. He loved him. He was a human being in whom could be an heir of salvation if his heart was right. Anybody is an heir of salvation if your heart is open. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter any other demographic that the world would tend to dice everybody up. No. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, notice... I'm going to make him, i got precious promises for him. I'm going to make him a great nation. Twelve princes are going to come from him. But, but, verse 21, my covenant I will establish with Isaac. God didn't, you know, beat around the bush and say, you know, I'm sorry to do this to you. You know, I know it might hurt your feelings. It might hurt your feelings, but i gotta, I got to choose somebody. And, you know, I'm kind of nervous about this and what it's going to do, but i got to do it, so will you guys bear with me? No, God says... But my covenant I will I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And then he finished talking with him, and notice God went up from Abraham. So a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ, standing before Abraham, telling him what's going to happen. Going to do great things with Ishmael, but my covenant, my promise... And then it goes on in chapter 25, Genesis 25, it says, Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. Again, Genesis twenty-five, twelve through 18 is, are the verses. And it says, And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Kedar, uh, Adbeel, and Mis, uh, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Mesa, Hadar, Tema, Jeter, Naphish, and Kademah, which we already had looked at that in uh, here in Chronicles. But then he goes on. He said, These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names, and by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died, was gathered to his people, They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all of his brethren. So it's important to see the kindness and the compassion of God. Just because God didn't choose Ishmael to be in the line of the Messiah and give him the same land as the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doesn't mean that he didn't care for him. What is the New Testament verse that we know so well? For God so loved the world... He loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That included the line of Ishmael if they were willing to submit their hearts. And God has the right to choose whom he wills and does what he wants. Notice in verse 32 back in our text, it says, uh, if you've got a new King James Version Bible, they put this little heading which helps us. Says the family of Keturah. Now, Keturah, remember, is the wife of Abraham after Sarah's death. After Sarah died, Abraham legally married a woman by the name of Keturah. And notice what it says in verse 32. Now the sons born to Keturah, Abraham's concubine, I'd have you underline that word concubine and then put off in the margin of your Bible, Genesis 25, verse 1. And I'll tell you why. Just, Just mark it down and i'll read it for you it says now the sons born of Keturah Abraham's concubine were Zimran Jokshan uh Jokshan Midian Midian Ishbak and Shuah the sons of Jokshan were Sheba and Dedan now this word concubine if you were to look in Genesis chapter 25 verse 1 it says it calls Keturah Abraham's wife so they were legally married so there seems to be a problem here because Genesis 25.1 tells us that, he was, that she was his wife. And here in Chronicles one thirty-two it's telling us that she is his concubine. And they are two very different things. A concubine is like a mistress, uh, someone on the side. Remember, Solomon had several hundred wives and several hundred concubines. So this is a woman on the side, women on the side. But it says that she was his concubine. And why would they use that term? Because we know that they were legally married. Well, an easy way to perhaps get around this, because you can't fight the fact that it is here in the Scripture. So even though there's a seemingly discrepancy between these two verses, how Keturah is described, maybe a better way to look at it is that Sarah was the principal wife. She was Abraham's first wife, the principal wife. And um, through, uh, through, through whom Isaac, the son of the covenant, the son of the promise, would come. And that Keturah was seen as a secondary wife after the death of Sarah. Hence, the chronicler's choice of the word concubine. Not really putting her in the same position, if you will, as Sarah, because Sarah was the first. Does that make sense? But they were legally married. Verse 33 So the sons of Midian were Ephah and Efer, <clears throat> Hanok, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. And so the offspring of Abraham and Keturah, these people groups that we just read, would settle in South Arabia. And a lot of these names, like Dedan and Sheba, are there to, even to this day. And so that's where they settled. And, and, and finally, it gets to uh, the family of Isaac and speaking more about Esau. So verse 34, And Abraham begat Isaac. The sons of Isaac were Esau and Ish- in Israel, or Jacob. Remember, Jacob, his name was changed from heel catcher or supplanter, and it was changed to governed by God, which is what Israel, the name, means. So Israel is mentioned and not Jacob here because Israel is the name of the promise, of the promised son, and more fitting due to the covenant that God had given to Abraham, and he will reiterate again to Isaac and Jacob. So Esau and Jacob were twins at birth. Genesis 25, verse 19 tells us, and let me just read it to you. It says, the generation, or the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham begot Isaac, And Isaac was 42 years, uh, excuse me, was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. So she's got these two twins, these two boys inside of her womb, battling it out. And there was something not quite right. She's like, what is going on here? And, uh, and so she asked the Lord. She goes, if all is well, why am I like this? I mean, not too many women ever had you know, twins all the time. So having one is severe enough. But then when you got two young boys in there, <clears throat> you can imagine it's going to be pretty crazy. She said, if all is well, why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. Good gal. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be gathered from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Meaning, as we will see, that the, ultimately the descendants of Esau will serve the descendants of Jacob. So when her days, verse 24, were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over, and so they called his name Esau, and his name literally means hairy and red all over. And afterward his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which literally means heel catcher or supplanter, or I've heard some call dirty sneaky thief. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. She loved Jacob. She knew that the promise would go through Jacob. So she protected Jacob. She loved Jacob. So Jacob, remember, Uh, tricked him out of the birthright, and thus created a lot of tension between them, and they ultimately had to split up. So much so that in Genesis 36, beginning in verse 7, it says, For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. So when you read about Edom in the scriptures, it's talking about the race, the people group that came from Esau, because Esau is Edom. Edom is Esau. And these people and these people groups that came from Esau, they settled east and and really south of the Dead Sea and the land that you and I uh, know today as uh, uh, Jordan in that area there and even down further than that. So from verses 35 now through 54 are the descendants of Esau, who is Edom. And then chapters 2 through 7 are concerning Jacob's line. So we got just a... Do you see what the chronicler is doing? He's including Esau, but he's not giving him a great deal of ink on the page because the idea is not to exploit everything about Edom and Esau. No, it's just these are the facts. This is what happened. Now let's get to what's really important, and that is... The line of Judah. <laughs> it's always funneling us down this little road to get us finally to Judah. And maybe we'll get to chapter two, but I doubt it. So, the sons of Esau, verse 35 back in our text now, were Eliphaz and Reuel, Jeush, Jaalam, Je, uh, and Korah. And the sons of Eliphaz were Timan and Omar, Zephi, Gatam, and Kinez, and by Timnah, Amalek. Does Amalek ring a bell? The people of Amalek, weren't they perennial enemies of the nation of Israel? Remember in uh, Judges chapter 7, the Amalekites were a type of the flesh. The, Gideon and his army went out against the Amalekites, remember? So the sons of Ruel were Nahath and Zerah, Shama and Mizah, so the family of Seir, these were the, pre, the people that predated the Edomites. Before the Edomites actually settled in that area south of the Dead Sea, the family of Seir were there. They were pre-Edomites, or the people that occupied the land in that area before Esau and his descendants did. So that's really what we're speaking of in verse 38 when it says, The sons of Seir were Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna. Dishan, Ezer and Dishan and the sons of Lotan were Horai and Homam. Lotan's sister was Timna. And you know what I love about these genealogies is that if you really wanted to find out, if you really wanted to look into history, do you know that this is the best history of these nations? that they will find some hidden record somewhere and they doubted the Bible all along and then they find some you know, manuscript under a rock or something and they open it up and it mentions one of these names that everybody thought, well, this certainly has to be a mistake because we've never heard of this person or these people and all of a sudden it shows it very plainly. So the records that the Jews had were impeccable and God made sure that these things were written true. They, that's why it's true. You can hang on to it. There's nothing that's going to go against what we have here. Maybe spelling errors and a few different spelling variations, but the facts are here, folks, and you can trust in them. And I love that about the Word of God. And so, the sons of Shobal were Alion, Manahath, Ebal, Shephi, and Onam. The sons of Zibion were Ajath and Anah. And the sons of Anah were Dishon. The sons of Dishon were Hamran Eshban, Ithran, and Charon. And the sons of Ezer were Bilhan, Zeevan, and Jayakhan. The sons of Dishan were Uz and Aran. And then it goes on to the kings of Edom. And this again is the same area that we're talking about. And um, you'll find uh, in Genesis chapter 36, all of these names that we're going to be reading are pretty much verbatim as it is in Genesis 36, specifically verses 31 through 43, with, the only thing that's different is maybe the variation of the name. There might be a different uh, way that the name is spelled. And don't think that that's a mistake. It's just different spellings of the same name, okay? And, and all these things are known now. And in your Bibles, you'll often see a little footnote or a little number or a letter uh, off the side of the name, you go down and look and you find out that it says, oh, in First Chronicles so-and-so, it says this, but they mean the same thing. Okay? So, um, so it says, now these were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before a king reigned over the children of Israel. Bala, the son of Beor, and the name of his city was Dinhaba. So, this is uh, this place called Edom again, is the land south and a little bit east of the Dead Sea. And this is where the rock city of Petra is. Now, why is that a big deal to us? And this is what's so fun about this because as we talk about Edom, it has everything to do with current events and what's going to happen in the future. Edom is very much in the future because Petra is very much in the future. Because this is the place where we believe that the Lord will preserve a remnant of the Jews during the great tribulation period. In fact, let me read something to you. You might just want to put off off the side of verse 43 here. Just write this reference down, Revelation 12, beginning in verse 13, down through verse 17. Let me read it to you. Because it's speaking in a, in a, in a, in a form about things. Now remember, John... Was receiving this revelation on the Isle of Patmos in the latter part of the first century. Okay, he's receiving this information in you know in the late nineties. Okay, in the first century, and he's speaking about something that hasn't even happened in our day yet. It hasn't happened, but it's going to happen because we know the Great Tribulation. Uh, will begin once the church is removed there may be a period of time in preparation for it but it's going to happen after the real church is raptured but notice what it says in the middle of that tribulation period it says now when the dragon and we know who the dragon is who is the dragon go ahead yeah satan right now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth because he was kicked out of heaven, right now he has access, but in the great tribulation period there's going to come a time where God will forcibly kick him out with his angelic host and they cannot come before the throne of God anymore. They will be confined to the earth. That's why previously in Revelation it says woe woe to the earth for the devil has come down to you full of fury. So he persecuted the woman. The woman is Israel who gave birth to the male child. Who is the male child? Jesus right but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of presence of the serpent we know that a time is one year a times is plural it's two years and then a half a time is a half a year so three and a half years you follow me that, that idiom is consistent throughout the Bible. A time is a one one year. A times is two years because it's plural of time. And then a half a time is, is six months. So three and a half years. That's, that puts it right in the middle of the, the, the three year, uh, right in the middle of that seven year tribulation period when they are on the run because the Antichrist has revealed himself and they flee. The remnant flee the hundred and forty four thousand and probably some others as well. They flee to the rock city of Petra because it's an impregnable fortress. And out of sight not of mind from the Antichrist. But notice, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. How he does that, we don't know. It could literally be a flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, meaning Israel and the, and, and, and the, and the remnant. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring... Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Pretty interesting. So this Edom, Esau, his remnant, his descendants are going to be the place where the Jews will flee. And some of you, raise your hand if you've been to Petra. Nobody's been there. I haven't been there yet either. I'd love to go there, but there's some people that I know who have been there, but it's a really wonderful place, really interesting. And so going on now in verse 44, so can you see that even in this, we can see the relevance of this person. It's relevant to us today and in the future. So verse 44, and when Bela died, Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, it's another term for this area where Petra is, reigned in his place. So Basra is the area where Petra is located. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 63, mark this scripture down. This is a really beautiful scripture. Isaiah 63, the first six verses. Let me read it to you. What I'm going to read to you now is what we believe is going to happen before Jesus, because remember, the the Jews are going to be under assault by the Antichrist in the Great Tribulation period. And... Zechariah 14 tells us that Jesus is going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. It doesn't say that he's coming from the air to do it. I've always assumed that he was going to come from heaven and set foot on the Mount of Olives and the thing would break in half. But actually, there's some business that he's going to do before he walks up to Jerusalem, before he sets foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to rescue that remnant that has been in exile for fear of their life. He's going to rescue them first. And Isaiah 63 tells us, notice, who is this who comes from Edom? And this, the prophet is describing Jesus Christ coming back, delivering his people from Petra, from Basra area, and then bringing them into safety as a shepherd would his own fold. And he brings them, and the prophet, picture it in your head, who is this who comes from Edom, the place we're talking about right now? With dyed garments from Basra, this one who was glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I don't know about you, but even as I read that... (laughs) Who is this one, glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? And here's the answer. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save... And why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And here's his answer. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. And I trampled them with my fury, in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. Isn't that the day when Christ comes back to the earth in his second coming? Isn't it a day of vengeance? It's the only day of vengeance that I know of in the Bible that's of any significance. The day of vengeance when Christ physically comes back to earth and he is going to rescue his remnant first. and He's going to be a great slaughter as he is bringing his own with him going up to Jerusalem. And he says, I looked but no one was there to help and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm Jesus is speaking, my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury and brought, them, brought down their strength to the earth. I love that. <laughs> That's just exciting. I'm longing for that day. The ultimate in restitution. Do you have a heart? In your heart, do you have this justice? You want to see justice done? If you do, it's a God-given thing. It's not revenge. God will take care of it. But evil needs to be punished. And when evil is not punished, bad things happen. People lose hope. They lose, pretty much like America, the way it is right now. Nothing is happening Crimes are being committed, and everybody's just turning a blind eye. Ah, just move on. And everybody moves on like nothing ever happened. We live in a crazy, crazy world. But I'm looking forward to the day when justice is done. True justice, righteous judgment, and there's no one like Jesus to do that. So going on. So we looked at Petra, and we looked at Basra, this area. So verse 45, when Jobab died, how would you like to have a line like Jobab? That sounds like somebody down in Florida where I grew up. Out on Pine Island, there was a lot of good old boys in pick up trucks with their, uh, with their rebel flag and their gun rack on the back and their dog and hog's blood on the tailgate. Literally. The island I grew up on had wild boars all over the place. I knew this guy, his name was Bubba. Bubba Williamson. Yeah, that's, that was his name. He was a good old boy. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. (laughs) Does that bring you back? Oh, you brought me back to 1980-something. So, when Jobab died, Husham, of the land of the Temanites, reigned in his place. And when Husham died, Hadad, the son of Bedad, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his place. And the name of his city was Avith. When Hadad died, Samlah and Masrika reigned in his place. I'm so glad that there's no like uh, scholars who can say you know you're pronouncing all these names wrong. But you know, I'm reading them like phonically, so uh, just bear with me. And and, when and when died, Saul of uh, Rehoboth by the river reigned in his place. And, And this is a real; these are real places, right? Nobody makes these names up. These are real places. Reigned in his place. And when Saul died, now this is not Saul. Israel's first king, okay? It's going back even further than that. So this is a different Saul and it's certainly not Saul of Tarsus, Paul the apostle, it's not him either. So when Saul died, Baal Hanan, the son of Achbor, reigned in his place. And when Baal Hanan died, Hadad reigned in his place. And the name of his city was Pi or Puah. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezahab. Now in verses 51 through 54, we're going to see 11 chiefs of Edom. And these were real chiefs. And notice that God is not ashamed or opposed to including them in his his word. It's true, these things. But is he going to, again, winnow down and get quickly, the chronicler? Because Because the Bible is a book of redemption, it's not going to waste a lot of time going into great detail about Japheth and about Ham. There's a lot about, there's some about Japheth, even more about Ham and really a lot more, the whole Bible pretty much, about Shem. But he loves people. Adad died also, verse 51, and the chiefs of Edom were chief Timnah, chief Aliyah, chief Japheth, Chief Aholabama, Chief Elah, Chief Penan, Chief Kenaz, Chief Timan, Chief Mibzar, Chief Magdiel, and Chief Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom. These were the chiefs of Edom. Now, I had every intention of going into chapter 2, but I don't think we're going to tonight. It's getting late. and um, But isn't it wonderful... You know, as I began, I actually was concerned and worried going through these genealogies. But isn't it fascinating how in the midst of this, there's a strain, there's a a scarlet thread, if you will. (laughs) The plan of redemption going throughout. And if you honestly look at the Bible and these genealogies, look how little time is spent. And look how much time is spent on Shem, Specifically, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And God made sure of that for us. It was a promise. And when God makes a promise, he makes it very clear. And when he, when he makes something clear, he repeats himself. Again, you can read Genesis and read these things. And other than some spelling variations, it's all there. And I would encourage you, To really trust in the Lord. To really trust the Lord. Trust His Word. Everyone who has come against the Word of God with some kind of higher knowledge, a PhD in linguistics or uh, in in Middle Eastern languages or whatever it may be, in Sanskrit, you know, uh, whatever it may be, it doesn't really matter. The truth of the matter is God is true and let every man be a liar. Because when God says something, you can take it to the bank and you can count on it. And I want to encourage you with that because, folks, as we go through this and, um, you know, uh, we won't spend a, a, you know, there's going to be whole entire sections that I'm just going to read to you. And we're not going to pause at all. We'll pause a few few places to, to highlight certain characters and why they're there. Why is it important that they're there? And and I'm sure I'm only scratching the surface. But trust the word of God. Ask God to reveal to you a greater love for his word. I did that actually on the way here. I'm like, Lord, I love your word, but I want to love it even more. I want to trust you more than I ever have. And I pray the same for you. Because you've got nothing else. Can I say that? You have nothing else. This truth is all you got. It's all you have. This truth, God's truth, God's word is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can rest your soul. You can lay your pillow on that truth at night. And you can hold on to it when everyone else around you is screaming that that's not true. And when there's many more educated people who know a lot more than you and have gotten a lot more money than you do and have got a lot more things on the wall, their pedigrees and their, their, their degrees from prestigious colleges and they could be Bible scholars, I don't care. If there's a scholar who comes up to me and says, well, this doesn't really belong in here. This doesn't belong in here. I'm gonna say, that's one person I don't even wanna be around because he's a fool. (laughs) Let God's word be true and every man a liar. Amen? Let it be, let it be, let it be. Jesus, take it, folks. You have every bit of confidence. You can have every bit of confidence because the blood of Christ secured this for us and the blood of the martyrs And maybe one day ours as well. And I say, so be it. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I don't know how anybody else feels, but I'm loving this already. (laughs) And I just thank you, God, that um, your word is so interesting. And Lord, it does affect us today. The things we read tonight about Edom and Basra and Lord, these things are, are, are going to be in the, in, in, in the news at some point. These places that you foreordained for your people. And nobody else believes it, but we believe it. Because you've never lied to us. And you never will lie to us, Lord. You're the only one. You're the only one that I can trust in completely 100%. And n- nothing else compares to it. Lord, I pray that you'd fill myself and my brothers and my sisters and those who may hear this or see this later on. Lord, would you fill them with that great confidence? Would you baptize us with your Spirit? Holy Spirit, come upon us and fill us for the days that we live in now. God, we need your power, we need boldness. We need boldness and we need great love. Lord, I need your love for people around me and I need boldness. Would you give us all these things and everything you want to just pile it upon us, Lord. We're greedy for what you have for us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this night together and I pray that you'd bless my brothers and my sisters. Give them rest tonight. Give them a peaceful rest, Lord. You give your beloved sleep Encourage us all, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name.